This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. I just believe that we are sitting on reserves in our body, in our brain, in our mind, in our heart that we're just not tapping into. And this is not your practice life. I like to say that, like, this is it and and make it happen. Because as educators, when you push yourself, your students are going to hear those stories and inevitably they're going to start pushing themselves. As promised, I have an interview with Adam Welcome for you. He talks about perseverance how to bolster your energy, how to roll with the punches, and he talks about a specific way to revolutionize the staff meeting. He also talks about his secret to everlasting energy within the classroom. You won't want to miss this interview. And although we recorded it before COVID-19 really ramped up back in March, I think a lot of the topics that we cover are still very relevant, and actually maybe even more so. I hope you enjoy this interview with Adam Welcome. Adam has been a teacher, principal, director of innovation for a district with 35,000 students and enjoys pushing the envelope to always do what's best for kids. Adam is passionate about technology integration with all educators and a huge advocate of social media and connecting with other educators from across the country. Adam makes it clear that kids come first and has preached this message of Team Kid for many years. He is also the co-founder of Kids Deserve It, the author of Run Like a Pirate, and Empower Our Girls. You can find him on mradamwelcome.com. Hi, Adam. Welcome. I just want to uh, welcome you to my Kindsight 101 podcast. It is such a joy to have you today, and I'm just so excited for a conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love it. I know that when you were a child, I want to rewind because you are such an incredible leader in so many ways. And as listeners have just heard in the pre-recorded intro, uh, you've done some incredible things. Um, people used to call you Mr. Excitement. And ha, um, where did you get that from? I oh, I have my ways. Um, yeah. And I just, I just know that when I see you, I've never met you in real life, but I know that I've seen videos, I've seen your online content on all of the platforms. I see your energy come through in everything that you do. First of all, what, where does that energy kind of stem from? And knowing that energy is contagious, what do you think that that energy has allowed for you to do as a leader? Gosh, the energy has like, honestly, has been always been there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I was just, I think I'm just happy to be alive, honestly, and uh, just excited to be alive and to be able to get to do whatever I'm doing at the moment. I have super high mojo for pretty much anything I do, especially when it comes to education and teachers and kids and eating healthy and just inspiring and helping other people. Uh, when I first met my wife, she diagnosed me with like too much energy, but she <laughs> understands it now. And uh, you know, I think in my experience, people just, people feed off of that energy. My son played soccer years ago when he was like three years old and the coach was, all right, kids, come on over, let's play soccer. And nobody was excited to play soccer. And, and you know, like we weren't excited as parents, my wife and I to be there as opposed to... 
what's up soccer players today's gonna be awesome we're gonna kick the ball we're gonna run we're gonna have fun and people just people feed off of that so you know if you're a teacher or if you're a principal or if whatever you do in, in a school district or even in your neighborhood when you have excitement about it and uh, people are going to want to follow and there's a difference between between uh, authentic excitement and then fake excitement and i think people know what i'm talking about so just being genuine and having it come from the heart is is just super important and that's what i've always just tried to do Absolutely. And if you want, I mean, I'd love to dive into that. I think authenticity versus uh, posturing is a really important thing to Mm -hmm. acknowledge. And I'd love to hear Mm -hmm. maybe just a little more about that, because I think sometimes it's hard for us, especially if it doesn't come naturally. Like, how do you tap into that authentic energy that is within? How do you really kind of tap into that why? Yeah, I mean, you got to know what your why is, and you have to know what your passions are. I think a lot of people kind of come across, people try to make something out of something that's not there, potentially, because they want to get noticed, they want to make money, they want to become famous, I mean, whatever whatever, whatever the heck we want to call it, and, uh, you know, just really, like, what makes you happy? Like, what makes you happy? The other day, a friend of mine, my family and I, we ski. We're big skiers, and we just spent a week in Utah skiing. And a friend messaged me. She's like, I can tell how much you love it by your pictures and your messages and your videos and and just you with your family. And I feel that same excitement when I'm working with teachers or students or on a podcast or writing a book. And I think you just need to identify really what makes you excited and not what you think gets people excited mm. because you know here's the here's the deal people ask me all the time I've written 3 books my fourth one will be coming out this summer teachers deserve it so and excited about that by so, the way so excited and people ask me like yeah like you know I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about wanting to write a book and I was like what are you passionate about like what what like what is your why and people go, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you think people want to read? Mm. And that's the completely wrong, wrong, wrong response. If you're passionate about expo markers or whiteboards, be excited about that because you're going to find your people and don't, don't be excited about math stations. If you're really not excited about math stations, don't do that just because you think people need to hear and learn about math stations because it's going to come across when you talk about it, blog about it, podcast about it, speak about it. So again, find what you're happy about, find what makes you passionate and what really gets you excited up in the, you know, out of, out of bed each morning and then, and then follow that. I think that's the, that's the simplistic recipe for Adam, Mr. Excitement. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I've done some coaching for Seth Godin on his podcast fellowship, and he says very similar things. And he says Mm -hmm. he and and it's a common thread, I think, with a lot of successful people. It's like find what what matters to you, the work that matters to you will come through you and will inspire people. And sometimes people might hear the same message, but sometimes they don't truly internalize it until they hear it from the right person. So sometimes sure. you're that right person. And I just, I love that message of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, since you've talked so much about excitement, your book, Kids Deserve It. There's a quote in there that says, kids deserve an excited adult. They need someone who is excited to explore and laugh with them all day. What made you want to write this book? Like, how has that philosophy mm-hmm. guided your practice and what 
yeah, what made you want to put this down on paper? That's a good question. So I never intended to write a book. I never really wanted to write a book. And I say that because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. And that was just never, never really in my brain. But what I did for years was blog. And I blogged and blogged and blogged. I started my first blog like 15 years ago and just putting out content. And then it kind of morphed. It was a so a cycle ago, blog, I, right? Was it a cycle yeah, blog? Yeah, I, I want to hear about I, this. I sold my car. I was a teacher living in the Bay Area of California, and I wanted to go a year without a car. So I sold my car, and I started a blog called Cycling Teacher Guy. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, how do you date? How do you go to the grocery store? How do you go to work when it's raining? And I lasted six months uh, on that adventure. I didn't last the entire year. It was just, it was so challenging. But it really got me on the path of writing. So I kind of I shifted the blog to education when I was a teacher and then when I was a vice principal. And then when I was a principal of my own school, that's when it really, really, really took off. And then I met Todd Nestaloni, who's my co-author on my first book, on Twitter, because where else does anybody meet anybody? Right. And we were at a conference and um, we were at dinner and I said, schools don't exist so we can have jobs. They exist for kids because our kids deserve it. And I'd been saying kids deserve it for, for a long time. And we, Todd was kind of stalking me at dinner, I like to say. And he tweeted that out. And then uh, the tweet just took off and we started Kids Deserve It. And our goal was not to write a book. Our goal was to change the world. And we blogged three days a week and we started a Twitter chat, which is still going on four and a half years later. We had a podcast, we did a hundred episodes and we just put out content. And then Dave Burgess from uh, DBC uh, Publishing reached out to us and said, hey, have you guys thought about writing a book? And we honestly hadn't, we had talked about it one time very shortly, but that wasn't our focus. We just wanted to change the world. And uh, when Dave called, we, um, we said, all right. And we put together a proposal. And a couple of weeks later, he said, yep. And that was like four years ago. So I think I, I really like our story, <laughs> not just because it's our story, but I think the path is such a natural, organic path. And I tell people, whatever it is, whatever you believe in, kind of going back to the question of what makes you happy and excited, just Try to change people's lives and try to impact people. Don't try to write a book. Don't try to become a speaker. Don't try to whatever. Just put out content and get your group and connect and be authentic and be passionate. And you're going to find your niche. And maybe it turns into something really huge and massive like Kids Deserve It, which it's still going strong. And maybe it's 150 people in a private Facebook group and you have an amazing group of 150 people. So that is really, that's really the path. We were just doing what we were doing as principals and we just put it together uh, in a book. And half of Kids Deserve It is old blog posts that Todd and I wrote individually and then that we wrote together and then we supersized them and, and made, them into, uh, made them into chapters. So that's another really great resource. If you have a podcast or a blog, put out content, put out content, put out content. Who knows, some of your best uh, blog posts or your best episodes may turn into a chapter someday. So be passionate, be authentic, and good things will happen to you. I love that so much. And I think uh, I think people don't often see the rewards right away. And I think the difference between 
really the ones who succeed in this this business you might call it are the ones who mm-hmm. who do stick with it and who are tuned into what they're interested in and I love that you started blogging you said it was 15 years ago and I yeah I, I did some research the cycle guy and then you had a friend yeah. who asked you to do to to basically put the bikes away and come running with him and you were not a runner and you no. just for any audience members who have not or are not familiar with your books, you are associated with Dave Burgess's um, Like a Pirate series. So you've done your Run Like a Pirate book, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I actually interviewed Dave. Uh, He was an amazing guest too. And he, yeah, and, and essentially wrote a book about the power of running, but really there's a deep metaphor within it. And I'd love for you to tell the story of how you switched to running and you even, I mean, it shifted your personal life and everything. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I did. So I was not a runner. I had, I had, I owned $10,000 road bikes and shaved my legs and was a, rode my bike like 400 miles a week. And my buddy invited me to a race and didn't want to go. And I actually met my wife at the race and she turned me into a runner and I've run 30 marathons in 10 years. And the book is about running, but it's not about running. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about mindset and getting more out of life and becoming happier and following your passions and it has changed my life. And I'll tell you, I didn't want to write that book either. <laughs> I sound like the reluctant <laughs> author. Yeah. It was not my intention to write that book. Uh, a couple of friends were like, dude, you got to write about this, man. Cause like nobody else is doing this and blah, blah, blah. And huh. I, people ask me, I, I ran 12 marathons in one year. So one marathon a month. And then I finished the year off on new year's Eve. And I ran a 24 hour race where I ran 103 miles in 24 hours. Oh. If you're listening to the podcast, just rewind that for 20 seconds and listen to it three more times just to kind of understand what I did. Cause some people, I know I went, I went over that fast. I ran a mile loop for an entire day and I ran 103 miles around that mile loop in 24 hours. And I did that because I was just comfortable in my life. I was too comfortable. I was a, I was a director of innovation for a large school district in California. And I just felt like I wasn't growing personally and professionally, not in my family sense, but just pushing yourself. It's, this is a, a really great time to be alive. I think if we're hungry, we can get food. If we're cold, you know, most of us can turn on the heat, but are we really pushing ourselves and, and just maximizing our full potential as a human being? And I, I was like, I don't know how else I can do that, but, but just push myself physically. And, you know, I realize that not everybody is a runner and some people don't even want to say the word run, but whatever you do or life, you have more capacity inside of you. I just believe that we are sitting on reserves in our body, in our brain, in our mind, in our heart that we're just not tapping into. And this is not your practice life. I like to say that like, this is it and and make it happen because as educators, when you push yourself, your students are going to hear those stories and inevitably they're going to start pushing themselves. So it's really a win-win, win-win-win-win-win all across the board. So that's really that's really that was the challenge I gave myself and then that was how the book came about. But I'll tell you, I've done 30 marathons and I've done four marathons in 4 days, but the most memorable marathon was I guided a blind runner the last 2 years for a marathon. So my friend David, uh, who's my friend now, he's completely blind, lost his vision two years ago, and I guide him for 26.2 miles, and uh, it's such an amazing experience to, first of all, run a marathon, 
but then to be able to give back to somebody else that doesn't have their vision is uh, uh people say god you're such a you've helped out david so much and i tell people i've learned so much more about myself and gotten so much more from david than i would than i think i've ever given him and the moral of that story is when you give to other people you actually get so much more in return I totally, totally agree. I would like to hear um, a little bit more about maybe some of the responses to kids deserve it as well. Did you get any flack? And how did that sort of guide your desire to write teachers deserve it? Um, We've gotten, I would say, zero flack from kids deserve it. I mean, all we've gotten is just like thousands and thousands of emails and messages and tweets, just that Thank you for writing the book. It's such an easy book to read. It's people, you know, just it's challenged us to think differently. But also, Todd and I wrote the book that we wanted to read. I just read so many books in in college and university that I just it was not applicable to the profession. It was all just this crazy research based. And you really and we wrote the book that you can read our book, get an idea, and then go do something with it tomorrow. And um, yeah, I mean, like people are still kind of like we just sold two thousand to a school district in Mississippi. I mean, people are still buying this book like like crazy. It's insane. Um, so it's been such a life changer, not just for other people, but I mean, for myself and Todd alike. And Teachers Deserve It is a book that I've wanted to write for for a long time, just because I feel um, teaching is so fun. It's also so hard and so challenging. And teachers, I mean, if you're in Canada or if you're in the United States or anywhere across the world, I would say, I would say really a lot. I mean, in the United States, education's in a very interesting place with standardized testing and, and salaries. And uh, there's, there's so many expectations on teachers. And um, my, my co-author, Ray Hewart, who is a middle school math teacher in Illinois, we wrote the book together and we're just so excited to... Uh, to have it come out, we've had a couple friends read it, and they're like, "Dude, you got to get this book out." I've had dozens and dozens of principals already wanted to want to pre-order it. So, hopefully, late July, early August, the book will be uh, will be out on Amazon. I love it, and I yeah. I'm wondering, like, I can't wait to read it because I think for me too, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Jody Carrington, and she talks a lot about yeah, the fact, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, totally. Yeah. She's been on the show too, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so she talks a lot about. We have to hold space for the educators and the administrators and all of the staff uh, that take care of the children in our school systems. And so, yeah, I wonder about that coming through as a message in the book. Can you can you talk about maybe a few sneak peek strategies? Yeah, yeah. Um, so one chapter that I love in Kids Deserve It. It's called "Leave It in Your Car." And um, I just love it because it's a simple chapter. So one of the chapters in Teachers Deserve It is leave it in your classroom. So leave it in your car. The premise was everyone has go- things going on in their life, you know, kids and bills and runny noses and whatever. Like leave that all in your car and be the best for your students that you can be every single day. Well, and Teachers Deserve It, leave it in your classroom is really very much the same concept. There are so many things happening in the lives of our students and and uh, we're busy and like stressed and whatever. 
And like, you know what? That's all going to be there tomorrow. And it's easier said than done, but we want people to make an effort to leave that all in your classroom because teachers have a life outside of their classroom. And when you are happier and when you are healthier uh, in your personal life with your, with your own children or your significant other or your friends and your family, you're going to be better for your, your students at school. And again, it's easier said than done, but striving to get there, we think is just so, so important. So everything that you have going on, leave it in your classroom, go to yoga, hang out with your kids, go to your book club, whatever it may be. And then you're going to be better for your kids the next day. So um, it's that's a free strategy. It doesn't cost anything. We have ideas and strategies for teachers, for principals, for superintendents. This is just not a teacher problem. We are not just this is this book is not just written to teachers. It's written to the leadership that say, hey, you need to support teachers in a different way. And here's some ideas. And it's written to uh, the superintendent who's in charge of the school of the, of the district or the school division and saying, Hey, we should be thinking about this in a different way based on Ray's experience as a teacher, based on my experience as a teacher and a principal. And I've worked at central office as well too. So, um, things that don't cost any money, things that just money needs to be shifted around things that just need to change our mindset. So, um, we are, again, beyond excited to uh, release Teachers Deserve It. We can't wait. So amazing. And I, I have a lot of uh, friends who are administrators, and also I'm enrolled in an administrator training master's oh, cool. program as well. And so my recent sort of interest has been on how do you shift morale in a building or in a, in a place where perhaps the morale is low or people are feeling overwhelmed? Do you have any tips from the book that – would give administrators sort of a something that they could do to sort of shift things that maybe doesn't cost money, but is something that allows individuals, whether they're teachers or students to feel valued and like they're part of the process. <laughs> I love it. No, I mean, like one of our chapters is teachers deserve to be respected mm-hmm. and teachers deserve to be appreciated and teachers deserve to have fun. And, you know, this book, a lot of, I think people, think it's going to go one way. It's actually going to go the other way. It is not a complaining book. It's not complaining about all the things that teachers deserve that they're not getting. It is That's the farthest from it. Yes. It's a very proactive book that just gives ideas and like reminds people. And then, you know, our hope is like, this is a bottom up book. Like the teachers read it and then they show like principals and superintendents. They're like, look, see, this is doable. Make it happen. Uh, some books go bottom down, some go, you know, uh, bottom, uh, top down, bottom up, whatever. Um, and we really, we really want everyone to read this book. So people have a conversation go, yeah, you know what, actually, like a lot of these things are doable. Some are going to be doable in some places. Some will be more doable in other places. And like, let's have a conversation about it. Like teachers deserve to be a part of the conversation. That's one of the chapters. So many things get done to teachers and not enough get done with teachers. Okay, um, we ordered a new reading program and this is how it's going to go. And this is what it is. And okay, here you go. And like the teachers are the ones that are implementing the program, but they had little to no say in the program. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like telling surgeons, okay, surgeon, you're going to use this scalpel and these tools and the surgeon says, well, wait, I'm not comfortable with them. I don't know them. I haven't been trained. Sorry, too bad. 
It makes zero, zero sense. Something needs to change. So we're hoping that this book is going to be a change maker in the um, in the world of educators, especially teachers. Love it. And I love that idea that anyone can be a leader, right? So it can anyone, go from bottom everyone up. Everyone is a leader. Yeah. Everyone is a leader. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Love it. Uh, I want to talk about creativity because I, it's been a big focus in, in my life. I think it's been something that I've turned my attention to. I know that it's mm-hmm. something that you care a great deal about, especially being the director of innovation. I'm for so. I mean, that is essentially at the core of your of your job is, is sort of fostering mm-hmm. a sense of creativity and all the people that work for you in your district. So um, I think about that whole idea of um, essentially acting on that creativity when we've lost that childlike sense of, you know, curiosity and innovation. How do we get back there as schools and how do we invite that back into the process? Yeah, you know, it's hard because when things dry up, things dry up. And when things are, you know, flowing, like uh, the the ideas are flowing. And, you know, if things have dried up where you are, or maybe the person listening to this is in a place where they're not surrounded by people that uh, are innovative or creative or even just celebrate those ideas. I talk to so many people that are just on an island. They're like, I need help. And what I would say, if those ideas are dried up, you need to go to Twitter. And if you're not on Twitter, you need to be. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're on Twitter. The Pope is on Twitter. The Dalai Lama is on Twitter. I mean, we've connected, you know, Morgane on Twitter. I don't know how else we would have met. There's no way it would have happened. Right. So that is just the next best place outside of your school building to get uh, to get ideas and to get energy. And it's if it's joining a Twitter chat or if it's just putting out a question, hey, I teach I teach grade three. And I'm looking for some new ideas around my language arts curriculum. Any ideas? And the number of responses that that person is going to get is just going to blow their mind if they're new to the platform. So don't get frustrated. Don't get sullen and uh, think that you need to find something else. Just just go to Twitter because there are so much amazingness happening there. Some of my best friends. I met through Twitter and some of those people I've never met in person. I was going through my cell phone the other day, looking at people's phone numbers that I had and how many people in my phone I've never met in person. And the origin of me meeting them was on Twitter, mm-hmm. but I have their cell phone number. It's just because we've been connected for so long. And because when I was a principal or a teacher or just an educator or an author, and we just, our paths have never crossed in person. So, um, Ideally, the people that you are work with that surround you, but in a lot of cases, um, you got to go to social media. So that's my best, my best advice. Love it. And I know that you talk a lot around you don't have to succumb to your default PLN and your default friends. Like you can go out and create the people that you, you know, the group of people that you want to be around and that Twitter is often the conduit for that. And I just think that's so smart. And I, I've totally experienced the same thing. I think it's been really... I mean, especially in this globalized world, and if we're to talk mm-hmm. about current events right now at the time of this uh, recording, that, you know, mm-hmm. with all sorts of fears around a pandemic that essentially mm-hmm. has caused people to be physically isolated from one another, really all we have is the mm-hmm. the technology to connect us. And what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful right. thing that I can speak to you right now. And right. Uh, a gift for our children too, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So... One more question, and then we'll yeah. slip to those rapid fires. I want to be really mindful of your time. You talked, and this is really 
interesting because I've thought a lot about staff meetings and how it can e- they can either serve to sort of be a really useful tool or sometimes we just have them for the sake of having them. So as someone who is an aspiring leader in, in the school system, talk to me about the importance of shifting the meaning of the staff meeting, what it can look like, some of the different approaches or formats that you've experienced slash played with in your own practice. Yeah, hopefully you read my uh, my blog post recently. You bet. Um, about meetings, and it was so funny because I wrote that blog post, and I didn't even. I was like, yeah, um, I guess I'll write it, and I wrote it, and then I just kind of looked at it, and then I posted it, and it's like one of my 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 my, my most viewed uh, blog posts ever. Um, wow, really? It's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I've just seen. So nothing amazing ever happened because of a committee or a meeting. (laughs) And when I was a principal, I actually stopped calling them meetings. I talk about this in the blog post. We called them staff gatherings. I'm not advocating that people stop meeting in person face-to-face. That that in person face-to-face, those relationships are still very important. But we have time for what we make time for. And so often we just schedule an hour meeting. So we fill up the hour meeting. Okay, anybody have anything else? And I just think like, stop wasting people's lives. Mm. If you're done in 30 minutes, like let people go, go in 30 minutes. I I rarely ever had an hour staff meeting because we just didn't need an hour to talk about this. Give people's time back. Um, Some things I talk about in that blog post were standing meetings. Standing meetings are so amazing because what happens when are most meetings? Uh, After lunch or around 3.30. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. When people are tired and they're exhausted. So we go to a room, everybody sits down, they kind of plop down and they go, huh, not a great time to be creative, be innovative, talk about issues and problems that the school is facing. So have people stand. So if you can shift the time of your meeting, great. A lot of times it's really hard because at the end of the school day is the most natural time to meet for all the adults because the kids are gone for the day. So have people stand and have them stand because when you're standing, you're moving, you're burning, you're burning calories. Hopefully you're thinking and you're talking a little bit and just some small, subtle things, walking meetings. I rarely, if somebody from district office came to my school when I was a principal, I rarely ever had a, a meeting in my office because if you're, if you're meeting in your office, the only thing that you're doing is meeting. Mm-hmm. But if you're walking around, you're checking in with kids, you're talking to teachers, you're, you're just doing other things you're you're multitasking kind of if you will than if you're just sitting in your office and meeting and i just think thinking about it differently looking at it differently um is so important because meetings just waste so many so much time from what we really should be doing and that's connecting and talking about kids or talking about lessons or curriculum so um Hopefully you'll put that in the show notes. If not, you can go see that blog post at my website, mradamwelcome.com. Um, it's no more traditional meetings. That's the caveat. We still should be getting together. We should still be connecting face-to-face, talking about kids, talking about curriculum, building relationships, but doing it how we've always done it, that needs to change. Love that. And I sure will be posting that in the notes. Before we zip along to the three rapid fire questions, is there anything that you'd like to add that you haven't touched on in this conversation that you'd really you'd really like to send along as a message yeah so you know you've been you've been kind of probing about teachers deserve it um and 
a strategy that we talk about is something I talk about a lot when I speak. It's thinking big, but acting small. And I think I know too many educators, too many school districts and school divisions, they just try to do too many things. And then what happens is you're doing 10 to 15 things with mediocrity when we should really be doing three to five things really well. And because then if you're doing, if you're trying to do 10 to 15 things, you're not doing anything well. And then not everything's not a failure, but you're just kind of, you're trying to stay afloat. So I urge people to choose three things, just choose three things and focus on those three things. Fully, fully realize that there's more things that you need to be doing. But what happens is if you add two, three, four, five more things to your plate, then you're not doing anything well. So you got to focus. What are the top three things that my students need, that my school, that my community needs, that's going to give me the biggest return on my investment from a time, from a financial standpoint. And we're going to focus on those three things. And then when what two of those things you're feeling really, really strong about, then add two more new things. Because the other two things that you took off of your plate, those are going smoothly. Those are being maintained. But really focus on three things in your personal life and in your professional life. I think those are both really, really important conversations. And teachers say no. Mm -hmm. I used to love it when my teachers would say, you know what, Adam? We can't handle that right now. As you said, I am Mr. Excitement. I have so many ideas. And when I, was a, when I was a principal of a building, we were doing this and we were doing that. And I'd have some teachers sometimes go, Adam, I think we need to slow down with this or I think we need to stop. And I would ask questions. I would listen and I would say, you're right. Because the leader doesn't always know, but people got to speak up. And maybe some people are saying, well, I don't feel like I can speak up to my principal or my superintendent or to my grade level lead or whatever it is, but you got to try. Because if you don't speak up, people are going to continue to put things on your plate over and over and over and over again. And that's just not okay. Because in the end, who is hurt? It's the students. Because you're trying to do too many things and you're doing them with mediocrity. Oh, man. Mic drop right there. That's so wise. Mm. That is so wise. And I just think that's uh, really, really good advice for anybody, actually, even people outside of education. If we focus 100%. on those three things, then we can maybe not achieve like life balance because I don't know that that's ever achievable. But definitely yeah. you can get to a place where you feel like things forget are manageable. <laughs> yeah. Okay, forget balance. I'm so overbalanced. Yeah. Choose three things or five things in your life that you're fanatical about and be fanatical about those three things. Because so many people try to balance like working out and kids and family and your spouse and your book club and this, like, you know what? I run, I read, I ski in my family yes. and that's it. Yes. You know I mean? I do other things, but like, that's what I'm fanatical about. And I do those things really, really well. So be fanatical about what you're fanatical about. Love it. Here we go for the rapid fires. What does kindness mean to you in a few words or less? Be the person that you want that you want to hang out with and that, and that your great grandmother would be proud of. Hmm. I haven't heard that before. I like that. <laughs> what one skill or attribute does a leader need to lead with in order to be effective? I think visibility, 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 visibility is the number one attribute for all leaders. Some leaders may say relationships are, are important. Yes, but you can't build relationships if you're not visible. And you can't know where your school needs to go unless you know where your school currently is. And you can't know where your school currently is unless you're visible. Get out of your office. There's nothing you need in your office 
and be visible in your building. Beautiful. I love that. And finally, what one quote would you print on one of those quote cups that could be sold around the, st- the world in bookstores? Be awesome for kids. Adam, welcome. Thank you so, so much for joining me today on the podcast. Where can people find you online and otherwise? Oh, I'm all over the internet. Mr. Adam, welcome. Twitter, Instagram, Voxer, Facebook, mradamwelcome.com. Everybody that reaches out to me, I get back to them. So if you need anything, you have an idea, you have a question, you want to chat, just reach out and uh, we can find some time to talk. And uh, I've been a podcaster for many years. I just want to say thank you for podcasting. I know it's hard with cancellations and time zones and kids running around. My kids are <laughs> quietly on the iPad and listening to music in in their room. And um, uh, thanks for uh, you know putting it out there in the conversations because I know people uh, people benefit from benefit from them. So keep on podcasting. Rock on. Thank you so much, Adam. And uh, I just, yeah, thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. 100%. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.